0: This episode is brought to you by Simple Mobile. Tired of being tied down with a wireless contract? Switch to Simple Mobile and stay connected on a powerful, nationwide 5G network. Unlimited talk, text, and data starts at $30 a month with no contracts, activation fees, or credit checks. Visit SimpleMobile.com today. Out with the old, in with the simple. Compatible 5G-capable device and SIM require. Actual availability, coverage, and speed may vary. 5G network not available in all areas. One month equals 30 days. See terms and conditions at SimpleMobile.com.
1: Alex Carell is one of over 70,000 Google Career Certificate graduates.
0: The Google
2: Career Certificate program completely changed the trajectory of my life. I've always been interested in computers, but I never thought I could turn this into a career. Anytime I got a little break, I'd just pop open the course on my phone. That allowed me to have that path into a career that I'm
1: passionate about.
0: Train online for in-demand jobs in IT, UX design,
1: data analytics, project management, and more. Visit grow.google.com slash certificates. We were recording a podcast the other day. (laughs) Is that from something? Yeah. Have you not seen uh, Letterkenny? I've it's seen the, the first 3 it's, episodes. It's the opening line to every Letterkenny episode.
3: Oh, uh, see I got to the part where they oh. talked about like creating like a fart book instead of Facebook and I was like I'm just I'm done. Uh, what is it you guys are even talking about? It's a show. It's it's like there's some really funny moments but it a is A current show or an older show? It's current. Yeah. Current. They're, they're
4: in a new season right now. Yeah. But they ran a couple it was originally a couple guys doing skits. And then I think they got picked up for a show for, like, Crackle TV or something that, like, nobody heard of. And, like, Hulu picked them up. Mm. But, yeah, so as Cliff was saying, the introductions, the guy, and he, it's not always the same thing. But he's like, so you're playing catch with your pals the other day. And then, like, does a (laughs) clip, and they're throwing a ball, and one of them says something ridiculous. Oh, okay. Okay. It, like,
3: sets the tone of the rest of the show.
2: Yeah. Well, guys, welcome to uh, Honey Hole Hangout, where we talk about hunting, fishing, great outdoors. Um, we have a different crew today. Um, I'm Landon, um, normal crew. We also have Zach and Cliff. And Cliff, would
1: you introduce our guests tonight? Yes. Today, for a guest, we have Preston Anders. Anders. You know it's Andrus. <laughs> I've Andrus. never heard Andrus. It is. You I've ne- heard Anders. No. Like from that Workaholics. Is definitely from Workaholics. And <laughs> I can't make that joke. No, it's Anders. Yeah. <laughs> With a hard on, <laughs> no. Andrus, and it's spelled that way, A and D Russ. I've never Howard. heard you pronounce it Andrus. Well, there we it's go. It's always this been guy. Anders or Anders. No,
4: it's, and then you haven't been listening very well. No, I don't. but anyway, for the for the viewers at home, I work on Cliff's bow for him. So that's
2: call me whatever you want. Just don't call me late for dinner. <laughs> <laughs> so uh press tell us a little bit quick little bio about yourself
4: um i mean most of it is i've spent the last decade effectively i think i'm at nine and a quarter-ish years working on bows and archery equipment for various different establishments and i've uh discovered some fun things along the way and made some opinions and i strive to be the best in my field at least within a couple hundred miles or so okay so, uh,
1: now you were considered I don't know if it still holds true but the second best at least in your field for the state of Texas
4: in traditional archery I did achieve second place for the state of Texas indoor um, last year I totally just absolutely screwed all that up
1: so you're no longer second best not in the
4: standings or the ranks, but, like, honestly, I'm the best. I just – I haven't proven <laughs> it yet, but, like, I know, and so it's – And it's that's all bad. that matters. When, so you, like you, say you, when matters.
2: you say you screwed it up, what do you mean by that?
4: So I got way too thirsty for it, and I, like, lost sight of, like, how to get out of my own head. Um, I was practicing and doing really well, and I showed up for the actual state event um, just hungry – and not nearly, call it, focused enough on the right things. And Mm. so I went out there, and I put out a miserable performance, Mm. nowhere near what I'm used to doing, and just let the frustration keep mounting. Um, Basically, it didn't immediately go my way, and so I started getting in my own head and just making it worse. Mm. Focusing too hard on the wrong things and just totally sounds like it sounds
2: like like golf. You get in your own head and then throws off your whole game. You hit one bad shot, gets in your head and then it just spirals yeah. Down from there. Almost exactly like that.
4: I shot a couple decent rounds and was a little frustrated that it wasn't what it needed to be. Mm -hmm. Like I knew going in, I need to shoot this or better pretty much and came out like just a couple points short on two or three ends and then from there just made it so much worse um started just really shooting so
2: how talk uh talk me through how do they score those tournaments and what are you trying to do so
4: this style is um indoor Field archery Mm -hmm. technically is the organization that runs it, but so there's a target, and on the target, you can score up to five points a shot. You shoot five arrows per set or end, whatever you want to call them, and you do that 12 times. So it's 60 total arrows, Mm -hmm. the highest number of points technically being a five, or an X is a tiebreaker point. It's just more in the middle, and then each ring out from there is one fewer point. So a 300 is a perfect score. Um, Traditional runs way shy of that for like what the best anyone's ever done is.
2: What is the best anyone's ever done?
4: Last I checked, if I remember correctly, the guy only dropped either 40 or 60 points out of the two days of state, which is a 300 twice. So he was like a 5 somewhere between 540 and 560 which is just phenomenal shooting Mm, wow this is a recurve bow for those of you at home who may not know it's basically a stick and a string whether the stick is made out of metal or wood doesn't technically matter um and no sights none of that what's the distance 20 yards okay yeah so it's a set distance um but even then you on these bows create all of the consistency and so doing that to that level where I'm pretty sure it was 40 total points out of the two days. Is just absolutely like mind blowing. Yeah. Mm. Um, at my very best, I'm like, that's that's a long shot. Like I'm gonna oh. I'm gonna go for it. Yeah. But that's hard to get there.
2: Man, that's crazy. Um, what did you score when you got your second
4: place? I don't remember right offhand. If I'd have known, I'd have been asked this. I'd have looked it up. I'm pretty sure it was in the one. Well, there was a two days worth of score, well shy. That's that's really all I've got. I can look it up. So it just speaks to how impressive
3: that. Yeah. What? Yeah. No, it, it
4: was especially off that benchmark, like so far down now. The guy that beat me only won by, like, 12 or 14 points
3: out of 600 total. So you guys were that close after that many. Right. Gotcha.
2: Let me ask you this. When uh, you guys are shooting these tournaments, I know you said, you know, in a ring five points, you Mm -hmm. move out, it's a point less. Are your misses in the four-point ring mostly, or is it even – because I imagine, like, a lot of, like, fives and fours, and your misses might be fours. Or am I just completely out of realm there, and you get a lot of misses and threes and twos? For right.
4: traditional, more likely in the threes and twos. Um, okay. I, my preference is that I shoot a you know, perfect 25 each end, but ultimately inside of a four would be, I would say, considered a hit. Like you have scored. Okay. Anything beyond that, like right. you're probably losing
3: points. So five's a dream, four is like the great reality. Right.
4: Gotcha. And so out of you know, if you shoot sixty arrows and all of them are fours, you've dropped sixty points. So that puts you on a two forty pace, Which and that would be score. that would be absolutely phenomenal. Like mm. you're kicking butt with a recurve bow, no sights, all that stuff. And so mine is like. I can allow, if I did my math right last time, like 15 threes throughout my 60 arrows and still have been competitive enough with this guy that I should beat him. Um, but if he shows up that day to really win, he might, you know, that might still a pull it off. Yeah. Um, yeah. So if that gives you any idea. Yeah. yeah that, I
2: think this is all fascinating. Yeah, yeah. For sure. I can't even want to keep get the conversation going but we'll we'll leave that as the teaser yeah. so you guys will listen <laughs> to all of our other stuff and then we'll come back and we'll talk more archery um if you guys uh you guys done anything fun the last week two weeks uh we didn't record last week because we were a week ahead on recordings um y'all been hunting fishing
3: watch oh, the masters
2: yeah the masters i got like last place in our office pot for the masters oh yeah It was fun. I'm really happy for the winner, though. Congrats, Landon. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Cliff. (laughs) Thanks, Cliff. (laughs) I just care to support. I appreciate that. Watching that. Watching a lot of baseball, too. So Mm. I don't know. It's just been, I've been working. So I I have nothing to report there. But I am leaving for South Padre on Thursday. You guys going to fish when you're down there? I'm going to fish. Taking the wife down for a bachelorette party. She's doing her thing for the whole weekend. I got a hotel room. I am going to fish a hotel room on the beach, so I'm going to be surf fishing a lot, and I'm going to go wade fish for some redfish, maybe fish the jetties, taking my big guns out there. What, 11, 12? I'm going to take 8, 10, 12. Gotcha. Yeah. Nice. And I'm going to get after it. Nice. So, um, I will report back with that whenever I... Dude, yeah. Hopefully you catch some cool stuff.
1: Yeah, You have something coming up this weekend. What do you got going on? Yeah, so my time's been inundated with trying to prepare for the total archery challenge, which is this Saturday, which would be the Saturday that just passed when you hear this.
3: Also, you've been saying tack a lot, and every time you say it, immediately my mind goes to taxes, and I have a little bit of anxiety because I haven't really done a lot of my taxes yet. And so it's throwing me off every single no, time. No, it's
1: TAC yeah. T A C.
3: And you're very excited every time you bring it up. And I'm like, why is he so excited about <laughs> his taxes? But
1: it's Total Archery Challenge. It's the Total Archery Challenge. This would be my second year competing, skipping last year due to COVID. Yeah. Uh my first year, I was actually presently pleasantly surprised with how well I performed. Um because I had just started I mean tax always in April and I had just started shooting archery at a capacity level of actually practicing and taking it serious for since March February that year
4: that sounds right yeah
1: and I just busted it out and performed pretty well with all the people that I shot with which were a bunch of friends so they were encouraging the whole time but I kept kept up with them as far as like shoot score goes. Yeah. And they were people who had been shooting for years.
3: So this is the challenge where you go out and they have a whole bunch of decoys and that's your target, right?
1: Well, I would say targets, not decoys, but yes. Well yeah. They look uh, like I mean, it. Essen- they look like es- fake animals. Essentially yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh yeah, it's a bunch so in San Antonio it's all up at Natural Bridge Caverns. Okay. And they have five courses that they set up for the Total Archery Challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, time out. Are there any in the caverns? Because that would be the coolest thing. No. That would be really cool. In fact, you, as part of TAC, you don't get to go into the caverns. I mean, you can go up there and buy a ticket to the cavern. But it's not like you're like, oh, I'm here. I'm going to go waste some time down in this cave. That would be cool if they put like a barricade down there. Oh, that would be just, a cane. sick shot. Right. But, <laughs> but no, they don't do that. They still run tours through the caverns while TAC is going on. This all happens kind of behind it. Um, There's normally about four or five, six courses, depending on the year. Um, How many targets are on each course? I think 25.
3: Okay, so it's pretty pretty. Yeah, good size. You, you,
1: you hike around, and the, all the targets range in distance. So they have like a locals course where most shots are going to be under 40 yards to like a, a more advanced uh, course. They will have high angle or steep angled shots that, ranged up to 180 yards uh, plus for each shot 180 yards Mm
4: -hmm. so the minor clarification like sorry to crack kind of on what you're saying so the real challenge shot isn't like a part of the course they set out this animal and if you hit it within the target ring not just hitting the target ring you can win a truck
3: Oh, So this 180-yard shot is like the the caveat. No, Uh, because sometimes
1: there was a 180-ish yard buffalo. None of them are supposed to be over
4: like 100, 115. So you might have seen from a stake like there's another animal, but none of those are like supposed to be. You can
1: call up AJ and ask. No crap.
4: Yeah. That's a little ridiculous.
1: Yeah. Like you you totally, it's a I'm going to waste an arrow type shot. But they do have interesting, that. and then they do have the challenge of like you can win a truck. But yeah. I don't see they see that as part of like the Total Archer Challenge because right. it's like you've paid to go in to shoot these courses like a golf tee time, right. and then you pay an extra however much it is to participate in shooting this target gotcha. for the truck. Okay, yeah, yeah, I know. So yeah. it's like throwing the ping pong ball in the fish bowl. Yeah, like carnival thing. games. Yes, mm-hmm. and I don't. But do for that. a truck. But Instead of, sure like, focus. a
2: life-size Winnie the Pooh. Exactly.
4: <laughs> now, even though those games are, like, clearly all rigged, as we all know as adults sitting around this table, <laughs> the truck is you're entered against Everyone everybody in the, in, the country. in the country that has competed and done the same thing. Oh, really? And also, once again, it's what they call an inside-out bullseye. At, like, last I was told, it's like ping-pong ball size circle... At a hundred, and I think they never tell you the number, but some of the times after they're done for the day, somebody's like, "Can I range it?" and they're like, "A hundred and sixty-five yards." Oh, you so, can't oh, even you range it. it. Mm-hmm. No, you just have to go or, out there well, they, and hope they might let you. But even so, like at that distance, it's, still, it's a prayer yeah. you're shooting out there.
2: I wonder how many. So, is it like five people that are entered in the truck lottery that end up hitting it, or like how many at the end, end of the year, like year? nationwide? I wonder what that. I would imagine it's more than five.
4: So there's a lot of dudes that practice these extreme long shots, a lot of it for that, some of it for hunting. But then when you add in most of those guys are going to drop a grand. Like I'm pretty sure it's $100 a shot, and so they're going to do it at least ten times, if not like sit there and just stack and
2: Well, you would probably want at least three or four shots. Like two will get you – Pretty close. If you if you're really good, I could see like two, maybe three shots, kind of dialing you into the range right. and figuring out where you've like placed your pin and where you need to adjust to make a like fair, legitimate shot.
4: Yeah, that would be seems accurate. Now, yeah. even like for most average dudes, probably more arrows than that. But yeah, that's yeah. still you guesstimate probably with it, guesstimate again, getting closer. But now you're on body, maybe. Then you got at least one yep. more really precise and hope the wind doesn't blow or whatever. Yeah. Like, it's yeah. a, yeah, that is an incredible feat for anybody. And I'll, I'll shake that dude's hand every day and be like, yeah. you may have done that all like air quotes wrong, but like, Hey, you, you <laughs> hit it. the body of that thing at 180 yards. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's impressive <laughs> in my book.
2: That's cool. You got anything coming up, Zach? Uh,
3: no, no, no. I mean, we might try to. Um, we need to go fishing. Yeah, we do. We all have normal schedules.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, cool. Let's uh, let's do our wood tip call. Cool. Let's do it.
5: Morning, boys. This here wood tip pickle chip, giving you another call. You know, boys, I'm out here with my palm jacks. All right, just enjoying the morning. You know, pretty typical. Okay. All right. No fooling. It's real nice. All right. Got a little. Got a little bourbon in my coffee, you know. Just watching these pump jacks move, you know what I'm saying? Just nice, you know. Rhythmic, all the sounds, you know. It's almost, you know, hard, no folding, a little, little hypnotic, almost. You know what I'm saying? Sexy. All right, I like it, you know what I'm saying? All right. But uh, anyhow, you know, pump jack here to get you going in the morning. It could be the bourbon too. Could be the bourbon and coffee, you know what I'm saying? But, uh, yeah, but uh, anyhow, yeah, I was listening to the last episode there. Got a little dang on my phone, all right. Listen to the last episode and. You know, it got me thinking, you know, you boys was talking about getting that sausage, okay? You know, you boys got it and you get it, all right? You know, you did good, okay? All right, but, uh, you know, I was thinking about a little ranch motto, you know, something about come get your sausage or... Get you some sausage or, you know, like sausage fest or something. I don't know. You boys will have to help me out with that one. But I was just kinda of thinking about a ranch mod over there, you know what I'm saying? But uh anyhow. Also got me thinking about knives, okay. You know, and so here's here's wood tip, pickle chips, life tip. All right, uh, you know, get you a good knife, okay? And how do you know you got a good knife? Okay, I'm not going to put any brand names or nothing on, you know, Texaco's code really words that, you know what I'm saying? But, but uh, you know, no fooling. Here's, what, here's the deal, okay? All right, your knife ought to have four main uses, okay? Here's how you judge if it's a good knife, okay? So, number one, okay, your knife ought to be able to field dress a critter, okay? All right, you know, deer, a pig, or hell, even a rabbit, okay? No fooling, you know, when you get hungry, you know, you need to be able to field dress that joker. Okay, all right, so that's number one, okay? Number two, all right, is when you get hungry, okay, you know, your knife ought to be able to cut you some donkey, okay? All oh, right, excuse me, boys, I meant summer sausage. Gotta be appropriate for a podcast here, but, you know, that's what my patty called it, uh, anyhow. But, uh, yeah, your knife ought to be able to cut you some summer sausage and you can get you a little snack, okay, when you're out in the field, all right? All right, number three, okay, is your knife ought to be able to trim fingernails. All right. I mean, you don't want to slice your hand off or nothing, but, you know, when you get a little cut on your fingernail, a little hangnail from working, okay, it happens. All right. You know, we're men. It's okay. All right. You know, we got to trim them fingernails. All right, so your knife ought to be able to do that, okay? All right, number four, okay, the last thing is, you know, it needs to be really a utility tool, okay? You know, you can use it as a screwdriver or, you know, like a little mini pry bar or, you know, you know, for digging. You know, you can use it for digging uh, or, you know, really kind of medicinal, okay? Have medicinal utility use, you know what I'm saying? It's like, you know, cutting them pokey things out of your finger, all right, because it's South Texas, okay, boys? You know what I'm saying? You know, you get poked or prodded. Or bit or stung or whatever. You know, that's how it goes down here in the south. But uh, anyhow, y'all be able to, you know, use your knife for those sorts of things. So that's pretty much it, boys. You know, it's got me thinking, you know, good knife, good thing to have. But uh, anyhow, so hope you boys are doing all right. Keep up the good work and I appreciate you, fellas. This here, is Wood Tip Pickle Chip. Y'all have a good week.
1: I 100% told y'all that that man does not own fingernail clippers and he uses a knife. Did I not? <laughs> I caught it on this last podcast that came out today. You did say it, yeah. I'm curious about uh, Preston.
2: What's your impression of Wood Tip Pickle Chip? I had I don't
4: have words. I'm working on that. that <laughs> I had no clue when you said what we were about to listen to, what was about <laughs> to happen there, and that whole thing just a lot. So the one is it a good knife should have multiple uses, and be able to do whatever. But, man, if I'm going to use my knife to dig or as a pry bar or a screwdriver, I've got to be out of options. Yeah. <laughs> now, granted, yeah. I'm a you little... You are a
1: knife aficionado. I'm a
4: little bit of a what you could call knife snob, and thus it breaks my heart if <laughs> I have to do those things. And I will if I need to, like if I'm in a bind. But I would much rather go dig in the toolbox and find a screwdriver or a pry bar or things designed for those if I can.
3: Before using the tip of your knife?
4: Before using the tip of my (laughs) knife. Now, part of that also comes, my dad, when I was a younger kid, he was opening a uh, battery hatch on a toy from a stepsister and I. And the, you know, famous last words, he goes, hey, y'all don't ever do this. (laughs) And he gets his old timer pocket knife Uh out of his pocket opens it up there's no lock on this thing and he goes to unscrew and that blade comes down and slams his finger to the bone in front of us and yeah literally yeah i'll never do that merry christmas kids at least not with a (laughs) non-locking blade knife oh man um but so yeah like knives should be utility tools for sure um once again i cringed a little bit thinking about using mine for that right now um what do you think about texco knives Woodtip's big on buying his knives from Texaco. As in the gas station. As the gas station. I think that if I were going to buy a knife to pry things open with, <laughs> that's, that is one I would not not hurt my heart so much. <laughs> so <laughs> sure. yeah, we have
1: Woodtip who swears on Texaco knives. Then you have us who kind of goes with the benchmade crew, and you even go a step farther. And carry something even nicer. Let's say he wanted to avoid brand names. I don't know if y'all care or Oh, not. we don't care. No, we don't care. So
2: no.
4: I have a Medford in my pocket right now. Would and, you care uh, to show it off? Oh, of course. I would love to show it off. That's what I live for. So that is a Midi Marauder. I think I got that right. I'm going to be real embarrassed later if I didn't. But uh, yeah, just a big old shiny. More shiny than necessary, I went. A step above their baseline because I like for my knives to. So be why is why easy.
2: did Cliff? Why did you say that this is a step above uh, Benchmade? What makes what makes this knife? I'll let a step above? I'll let
1: Preston go into that. But like, if you're looking, like, I feel like Benchmades do serve like a very utilitarian. Yes, they are pricey, but I think they serve a very utilitarian. Purpose, like they're somewhere in the middle, whereas those Medfords are normally even pricier than a bench made, and they're made to order. Um, not necessarily
4: made to order. Now they do, and produce they're a lot, lot more
1: masks. decorative, right? So make. I'll
4: I'll pick up where he's leaving off there. So the reason one might say now quality's, you know, there's a lot of factors to take into there. So bench made does hand fitted, but factory built and produced. Most of the things happening to that knife are done on a machine rather than assembly. So they've got all that, you know, working now. They have nice machines. They're putting out nice tolerances and they make good stuff. I like Benchmade plenty well. Uh, But so Medford takes that another step and they've got very similar, very nice machines to do like the base cutting of their parts But then they are hand finishing and sharpening by hand on a wheel um, and all of that sort of thing. So there is a lot more of a craftsman fiddling and making your knife go together the way it's supposed to. Um, And so quality and fit and finish and all those things are held to a different kind of standard. Um, Also, if any of you care enough, I won't ramble too far. Um, the gentleman that runs the company, people have mixed feelings about him a little bit, but when you, he'll put out videos and people go, well, this is, you know, heat treating is space magic and it's all kind of, this is what I found. And he's like, "No nah, man, it's science. And he's talked to the people that create the steels and here is how they react. And so they've boiled this down. Here is our heat treat process. Here is why we do what we do. And he's like, you can do it whatever way you want, but this is why. And this is what we put out and let the results kind of speak for itself. Um, Yeah, so way more hands-on time in terms of man hours and making sure your knife is built exactly the way you want it. Um, And, yeah, some of them have more decorative elements, but ultimately they're just big, beefy most of the time, uh, you know, tools to use once again.
1: To unscrew battery latch (laughs) or cut up a donkey
4: (laughs) so i'll claim my one as i i said it makes me cringe part of why i'm cringing so hard is i literally just this weekend used this knife to cut a tree branch off a tree and i kind of wasn't in my normal state of mind and uh so now i'm looking at all the rolls in my edge that i Hacked at for a long time to put them there, <laughs> so not nearly as bad as it could have been, if I had, you know, a lesser quality steel here. But yeah, so I'm like, man, I've got to
2: take and sharpen it again. Oh man! So let's uh, uh, get in some questions. What do we do? R- whiskey oh. review, then oh, questions. Oh yeah, whiskey review. Old uh, Tub. Old Tub. Uh, Zach, give us the so give us the stats. We
3: are drinking obviously Kentucky straight bourbon whiskey. You know we like our bourbon, guys. Uh, it is unfiltered. Um it's 100 proof. So, you know, nothing too crazy. It's got a little kick, nothing bad. Um but uh yeah.
2: So, yeah, yeah, old tub. Gabe donated it to us. Thank you, Gabe. Thank you, Gabe. We have a whiskey glass with your name on it. We do. And uh we have whiskey glasses on the website now.
3: Yeah, check them out, guys. They're so, fancy.
2: Yeah, they're nice. sorry I'm looking at a floating gnat in my Yeah, RV. I drank two gnats earlier.
1: Um I like this Urban. It's what, smooth. I, I think it I think it is smooth but it does have like a the heat goes up into your sinuses and your nasal like that burn it does that, yeah it hits your lips weird too you know what I mean I haven't gotten it. Oh, yeah. Like brilliant. I'm still getting it off the back of the tongue and then up and through my nose. Put it on your lips like chapstick. I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> That's not normally how I drink my whiskey, but like if you
4: insist. I do it through S- a <laughs> The what?
6: uh
4: I'm just disappointed. I got no gnats in mine. So I, uh, somebody poured me a bad batch here. Mm. Losing out um, in some
2: What do you think about it, Preston?
4: I enjoy it. Um, so Are you a big whiskey drinker? I drink a decent amount of whiskey, not to out myself as an alcoholic or anything. Didn't you but hear
1: him say he wasn't in his right state of mind when he <laughs> hacked up a tree with his knife?
4: Yeah, I was. Anyway, there was a party. <laughs> it was a long night. Um, but yeah, no, I enjoy whiskey plenty well. Um, I kind of got my start in Irish whiskeys okay. um, and have kind of worked my way back around to bourbons. Um, I'm, I'll say, less of just an outright bourbon drinker. But yeah, I would echo everyone else's notes i enjoy the flavor it is smooth but yeah there's a little bit of that back of the tongue my first sip was a little nasal normally i move on past that unless it's something real crazy like whistle mm-hmm. pig um yeah this we delicious. did a
1: whistle pig review a couple weeks ago
3: no i was saying like yeah it was awful
1: yeah well we no them. only one of them because we did a three set sampler That's the right. 10 was good the 12 was horrible was The 15 horrible. was good yeah, but the
3: 12 was like aged in a certain wine barrel and it just had a weird flavor. Yeah,
1: I would not buy anyone that 12 year old no. unless I hated them. I'm, I
4: think <laughs> the one that I tried, I, I ordered one off a menu. I was mm-hmm. like, Whistle pig, that sounds cool, and tried it. And I was like, I don't know. I think it was the 12 year.
3: Yeah, the 12. Yeah, it, 12, yes, uh, in like it a was a Chardonnay yeah. or a Cabernet. Yeah, it was. I don't know. Yeah, not, it was not the best that we've had. Yeah. I think collectively we said it was probably the worst thing we've had on the yes. podcast. But the other two whistle pigs, yes, we're good. Yeah, yes. would
2: you would you guys buy this bottle?
3: Uh, probably not, realistically. I think there's other bo- bottles that have more complex flavors. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, unless it's like a $25 bottle I can find all the time.
1: But- uh, I would have to agree with Zach's sentiment. It would not be one that I would... It's one that I probably would have bought... I don't know the price on it, but it's very re- reminiscent of like... Early college year whiskey, like that you'd buy to go to the parties. That I'm assuming you got good news. I pass, guys. And I <laughs> yes. pass wine colors. Oh, Congrats, Zach. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Now you uh, can podcast without
2: stressing. I can
3: podcast without stressing, so we're good. Nice,
2: um, cool. Well, let's move on to some questions. Uh, crawfish or shrimp boils?
1: I'm gonna say why not do both, but if I have to choose, crawfish
4: also a crawfish man myself.
1: Oh, crawfish. Yeah, I'm going yeah. crawfish. No qu- no
2: questions like... No, crawfish are like God's gift to earth. But let's be, let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs> why not do both? I mean, I don't disagree with you. I
1: mean, do you, are you wearing your It Depends shirt? <laughs> no, this, it doesn't depend. Why not do both? You could? I don't see why I you would could. Always, I would always do both, but if I had to choose, I'm going crawfish. Mm, okay. Yeah, I, yeah.
4: So, like, I feel like generally the shrimp boils I've had were always like family, friend, whatever. They were fine, but I feel like crawfish seems to maintain its flavor easier. Yeah, um, and it's almost like an
1: it. event because like you can only get crawfish like really one specific time of year, whereas shrimp you can kind of get it all year round.
3: Also, I will say. I've definitely had some, like, shrimp boils where, like, the shrimp are, like, kind of, like, overcooked and it's just, like, real rubbery or they kind of get to a point even where they start to, like, break down and become mushy. Like, crawfish, I've never had that experience. I would
1: also say it depends on, like, there you go. (laughs) (laughs) It depends on, like, how much of the crawfish you eat. Like, if you're just a tails kind of guy or gal, then it kind of I could see where it's like, uh, either way is fine. But if you like actually cracking it open and getting like that mustard and everything out of the head, that's where crawfish really shine. Mm. And it is good. Yeah, uh, that
4: fecal matter just really comes, comes through in a very strong way. Because
3: <laughs> <We laughs> I was going to bring up like sometimes with shrimp, you saw that like vein down the back. But I'm like, yeah, but with the crawfish, you literally suck yeah. the gut. so yeah. It's, yeah. You're just getting all that
1: straight. Yeah. <laughs> it's normally brain. It's true.
2: Uh, Blacklisted Fishing asked, why is Blacklisted Fishing so awesome? Well, it's not. I didn't know. I didn't think I would answer this one, but uh, I went to his Instagram account to see if I could find something cool. And we kind of have the same tattoo. My tattoo is inspired by an artist named Nick Carnes, but the tattoo artist kind of changed it to fit his style. And Blacklisted Fishing um i won't say his real name just i know who he is but i won't say his real name in case he doesn't want me to he has the actual nate karns picture of um that mine was inspired based off of so uh you're awesome because we almost have the same tattoo
1: i'm going to say i decline to answer because i do not know you wait so what was the question why is he so awesome
2: Oh yeah. Normally I I don't answer questions like that, but I I was like, "You you listen to the podcast, yeah? You do." Hey, you know what? Thanks for listening. You guys are all awesome. Oh, you know what? I wanted to give a shout out uh, for that one guy. (laughs) For the one guy, (laughs) you know who you are. I haven't given our uh, international listener update in a while. Uh huh. We have more. Uh, I wanted to uh, give y'all an international listener update. So, we have United States, obviously, Australia, Germany, United Kingdom, Netherlands, Canada, Romania, Singapore, Denmark, and France.
3: So, we're adding up.
2: We're, we're, we're getting them. Yeah. All of our friends to the north and south and across the pond, we appreciate y'all listening. Both ponds. Both ponds. So
1: Preston threw his hands up, like, <laughs> why? Which is the question that we have. <laughs> I mean,
4: like, and what runs through my head is, is are they just like, let's see how much Americana we can take in and just figure out what's going on here? But then I was like, maybe military? Military
1: people? is yeah. what I always kind of chopped that, it up. Yeah, too. that's what I'm That saying. would make more sense for sure. Or I
2: mean, what I'm hoping is that people are Google searching fly fishing or hunting podcasts and we're coming up as a result. And that's how they're finding us. That's what I'd like to think is the... There you go.
1: I want to put a charge out to all the international listeners and tell us your favorite place, not hot spotting, but what river or body of water you like to fish in your home country. Mm -hmm. And it's not really hot spotting because it's not like we can just show up and (laughs) fish all the time. I'm going to be there next (laughs) week. (laughs) Roll out into Romania real quick.
2: (laughs) But... Let me go back to our questions. Oh, when are we going to do a Devil's River trip?
1: Actually, I uh, Greg is going on a Devil's River. Is he? When's yes. he going? Well, he's going for something else, but um, you'd have to talk to Greg about that. We need to do. A, we need to put a Devil's River trip together. Let's go this it's summer, a, guys. It's about time. Yep. It's about yeah. Time. It's part of the the country I definitely want to see. Yeah,
2: yeah. Because well, it's just we'll, still so wild. We'll talk more about this. Uh, later. Uh, yeah. There's one other question, but sorry, Gabe, uh, I'm not gonna ask that other one just for sake of time. Uh, uh, that's all of our questions. Are we ready to, for articles? I think so. We covered everything we needed to cover. Let's do it, guys. Right. Let's right.
3: do it. Hey, who's going first? I, who has the most depressing article? Because we'll start with you.
1: I probably do. I have the. <laughs> okay. I have probably the one that's gonna get me at least a little fired up. All right, so because c- I have a lot of issues with some of the the Instagram bros right now who claim to be all about something but not talking about this. Right? Well, hey, you know what? I don't know a better soundbite than this.
2: Maybe it's Ian's soundbite C4. Sure. All Cl- right. Let me so the let me explain the reason for the explosion. Uh Cliffs Conservation Cool Conservation Corner is the name of his segment, which is C4. Yeah. Hence Four the explosion. Perfect. So,
4: <laughs> I could not have gone without that. I was. I no, no, but we don't always
2: explain, explain that, and I have gotten a message like, "What's up with the explosion?" Because it gets me in the car
1: every time. Yeah, it was a little jarring. Yeah. <laughs> oh, crap, <that's> <laughs> 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 I just had him like, "Can you turn my volume down a little bit?" This <laughs> this right, a yeah. All right, so um, my article is, I've been seeing a little bit on social media about a proposed closure to caribou hunting uh, and moose hunting on some uh, federal lands that is designated as public lands. But the curious thing about it is none of the public lands people on Instagram who tout it all the time have posted anything about it. When did this happen? Uh, It's still kind of fairly new. Uh, This article was put out yesterday, but it's not like it's not been around. So the article came out yesterday yesterday. But the proposition has been going on for a little while, and I think uh, I outlined when the vote and everything is. Okay. Um. But it is on April 23rd stands to be – or stands between what would be caribou and moose hunters and their access to nearly 60 million acres of pet- public federal land in northwest Alaska. Um. Mosquitoes. Oh, no. Uh, the forthcoming public land hearing was announced uh, Friday by the Department of Interior for public considerations of temporary wildlife and special actions request WSA 2101. If you want to Google that, which would close all federal lands within game units 23 and 26A to moose and caribou hunting hunters who are not. F- federally qualified subsistence users from august 1st through september 30th which happens to coincide with the non-resident hunting season for caribou in unit 23 and most of it in unit 26a uh close to if you're wondering like uh how if you think this won't happen Uh, Close to 1.5 million acres of BLM land in Unit 13 were also just closed in 2020 to non-qualified users for caribou hunting. Um, So what's going on in Unit 23 and 26A? The latest special action report comes from Northwest Arctic Subsistence Advisory Council, which represents mostly subsistence groups from committees scattered throughout Northwest, Northwest Alaska all of whom uh, subsistence off the Western Arctic herd, the largest in the state uh, or largest in the state caribou herd in Alaska. Uh, people who depend on the resource take priority on harvestable surplus, and uh, the region has supported ample opportunities for non-local and non-resident hunters to hunt caribou. The natural reaction to this, uh, most recent proposal is to exclude non-locals is to wonder what is happening to the herd and how com- how is non-local harvest affecting it the western arctic herd is such a vital or er, vital herd resource that has its own working group and management plan which are coordinated with the with a multi or multi-agent agency level According to the working group's newsletter from September twenty twenty, uh the herd first estimated at two thousand four hundred or two hundred and forty two thousand animals in nineteen seventy, crashing to about seventy five thousand in nineteen seventy six, booming to four hundred and ninety thousand in two thousand three, and then declining again to two hundred and one thousand in Two thousand and sixteen caribou numbers have since been relatively stable or increasing slightly. The last estimate in two thousand and nineteen puts the herd at about two hundred and forty four thousand animals. uh the working group says the herd is a uh, is in a conservative decline as of two thousand and twenty with a harvest harvestable surplus of ten thousand animals to fourteen thousand animals. Uh, The only reason the herd isn't considered liberal uh, stable is because the annual cow survival rate is at 78%, which is just 2% below stable. Adult cow mortality is often noted as one of the largest contributing factors in herd declines. Uh, Collaring is one way that agencies track cow mortality. Survival rates of 78% could be due to some cows already or being older when they are collared and might not reflect the cow survival rate for the entire herd. Uh, according to this information, the correlating management goals listed to the management plan, the herd does not appear to be any sort of unnatural or alarming decline. As long as the herd remain, maintains above the threshold of 200,000 animals, um, dramatic harvest reduction measures are not recommended. So what are you things going to so, happen? Okay in layman's terms we've gone through a lot of text what what is happening what does it mean so in sense they're placing regulations on the on Alaska's largest caribou herd okay um saying that only native like local subsistence hunters are allowed to hunt it okay but it is federally owned public land right so, our tax dollars are going to fund it. So, you as a tax-paying citizen should have rights to hunt this herd as long as the herd is not in a drastic decline okay. and it is sustainable. Right. So, what all those numbers are saying, the, the meat and potatoes of it, is that this herd still has good numbers. So it's why still sustaining it? So why are they limiting it? Right. That's where the second part comes into. So thanks for asking that when you did, because yeah. I was going to try and break it up that way, but that was cool, more perfect. Um, including in the years before, before 2016, non-qualified users, which means uh, out, non-state. out of state or other Alaska locals okay. not local to the area, but like, say you're from Anchorage. You so, wouldn't be considered a local, okay.
3: So limiting it even that
1: yes. much, okay. Uh, both Alaska residents and non-residents have contributed to approximate. So this is the the hunting side of things, of like how much hunters affect the herd. Approximately two to seven percent of the harvest uh, since the year of two thousand. The only and only around two to three percent of the harvest since two thousand sixteen. Yeah. Uh, Current state regulations still offer bag limits of five caribou per day for residents with no close season on Ooh, bulls. Wait, wait, wait. Five caribou a day? Per, for locals, so your subsistence farmers or your subsistence hunters are allowed five caribou a day. That's blown my mind. But you are not allowed right now if this proposal passes, are not allowed to go hunt this place.
3: But who needs five caribou a day?
1: Well, they split it up between their whole yeah. community. Oh, okay. That's okay. Right. Which so, is like, one person to... would go hunt for their community. Okay. Yeah. Right. That makes it a makes It makes yeah. it, it makes a little... Like, I, I understand what they're doing. i right, right, saying right. it's five caribou a day. But who's to say ten guys from this village can't go up there and shoot five caribou a day? And that's only for locals. The regulations would be different for you, Zach, going up there and hunting... Right. These caribou. No matter you're not what. You're not allowed five caribou a day. Okay. Um, with no closed season on bulls. So you can shoot bulls all year round. And 8.5 month cow season for Alaska residents. So you can shoot the cows for eight and a half months of the year. Okay. But bulls all year long. Correct. And you're allowed, again, five a day. Federal Subsistence Board has initiated a year-round season for bulls and allowed for the taking of calves. So now you can shoot calves in the year two thousand. See, just it just kind of
3: seems like they just don't want the herd to make it.
1: Well, they want the herd to make it, but the issue, the whole point of the article and this section, me bringing it up is the subsistence hunters there are still able to go shoot their five cows a day right. for eight and a half months and bulls all year round. Okay. You, as a non-local, say you're even from Anchorage, so mm-hmm. let's keep it in Alaska. Okay. You, as an Alaskan res- resident from Kenai, Alaska, okay. go up to this northwest part of Alaska, are not allowed those same quotas. Not only that, if this passes, you are not allowed to hunt there anymore. But your tax dollars still go to fund this land. What is the limits for
2: residents of Alaska that are not from the area?
1: I don't have that highlighted.
2: Also, I I, I
1: know we're not
3: like a political podcast and stuff, but the demographics of the people who live in the area, does that have anything to play with it? You know what I mean?
1: It doesn't. It doesn't say that. And I'm going to say does... Does that really matter? Well, if at there's this a native point?
3: population, then that would make sense because I know that 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 changes a lot of things. Like even like New Mexico and stuff like it changes a lot of the hunting it, regulations. It,
1: it doesn't state that, but I would be willing to bet that the local population there are probably some sort of native Alaskan right. heritage right. of some sort. Gotcha, gotcha. But that doesn't take away the fact that as the federal government goes, we they're supposed to view us as all the same. They can't take away your right to hunt this place as a person. I understand right. the different bag limits, right, right, right. But to take it away completely, right. give
3: somebody like, cause, like there's even sections of Colorado where you can, you know, they have three tags or whatever for a limit. And it's like right. just give them something, you know, but not everything. Obviously, right, like, we can understand that there needs to be a difference if right. people are actually using it to sustain themselves in their their uh, right their town. Is that know. a
1: drawn hunt anyway? Uh, I didn't see that, but okay. I, I would probably assume. Uh, the harvest by non-local hunters is very small. Uh, these regulations don't uh, skirm the population crisis. The management plan states that before 2016, large magnitude of harvest opportunity reduction hadn't even been discussed for the in 30 years. So this is where it really comes in to what this article's portrayal of what's going on is and what I see kind of going on is okay many folks believe the crux of the issue isn't a population issue so it's not about the herd at all okay which we can see that by saying they're still allowing five a day eight and a half months yes Preston
4: so I just did a quick Google to help add context to the conversation according to this thing that I've found if I'm reading it correctly non-residents are allowed one bull between July 15th and September 30th.
1: Okay. So, so drastically. That's right now,
3: but eventually it would change. It would be zero
4: okay. yeah, yeah, if this passed.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thanks for looking that up because I didn't. That's a, that's a great Jamie move. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know who Jamie is, but I'm happy to help. <laughs> uh, so, this is where it, it kind of gets a little like you start seeing where these lines actually yeah. are and the reasoning behind it. Many folks believe the crux of the issue isn't a population issue, but the real and perceived user conflict in many parts of rural Alaska are that there is tension between tension and conflict between local user groups and non-locals. Yeah. So they are – it goes into I'll, – I'll let you all look it up. This article, you can go – you can go on, and I highly suggest, like I've never highly suggested someone go on and read an article that I've covered, but go on to Outdoor Life's webpage and their conservation heading tab, click that. Right now, it's like the first story on the page. You can go through and read it. The whole article is about six-ish pages long with a lot more detail. Um, but it seems like the sentiment between non-local guides coming up, outfitters and stuff like that. Yeah. They've kind of burnt this bridge with the local population and or that the locals just don't want them there. And so now they have parti- partitioned state, local, federal governments to help kick out non-locals from hunting this public land that our tax da- dollars are going to fund. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I can see that. And I even know like in other areas...
2: You know, if you want to hire a guide or an outfitter, it's a local guide or outfitter. Right. You can't bring an outside outfitter in to do a hunt or a fish. But you Yeah, to
3: specifically use somebody who's from you, the area. And that, that infuses
2: money into the local. The local, local economy. Trough. They've been hunting it for generations and generations. You're going to learn
1: a lot about their culture. It's, in my eyes, a Which really I would good have,
2: experience. I would
1: have no problem with that. But the way this proposal is laid out is that, you can't even, you Landon. Now you've moved to Kenai, or do you want to be Juno? Where do you want to live in Alaska? Juneau. So you, <laughs> you Landon, have moved to Juno and you want to go hunt this northwest corner of Alaska. You cannot even hire a local guide to go hunt it. Like yeah. you're just not allowed if this proposal passes. Okay, okay.
3: I'm going to play devil's advocate real quick. And it's, I don't believe this at all. I'm just curious. Um, okay, so imagine we could pass a law that said only people who live within 40 miles of the Guadalupe River could fish for trout. What do you guys think? Would you would you be on board with that?
1: How much of the Guadalupe River is actually funded by federal tax dollars? I don't know. That's that would be the key question for me on it.
3: Yeah. Okay. Well, we, okay. We say we'll we'll draw us five people from. Let's say
1: the National Seashore. It, it, are you allowed to fish the National Seashore? I don't know. You I are. So. Yeah. You are. Yeah. But it, to use, like, tick for tat. Let's say, saying, yeah, let's say the how only would,
2: locals within 40 miles of the National Seashore can fish there. Do I live within 40
3: miles of the National Seashore? We probably don't. No. no.
2: If I did? How would you
3: feel about it? I'd probably be on board with but I do understand it's unfair. I'd be on board – I'd
1: be – He would be on board with it as a local. Right, because it benefits me. However – Oh, I'm not saying that the locals are wrong. right, right. I'm just saying, as a proposal, because this would oh, be yeah. a federally. No, it's messed done up. Proposal. For sure. That's what's messed up about it. It's, it's messed
3: the, up, but as somebody who lived who would live there, I I could see how easy it would be to be on board. You know what I mean? The thing <laughs> that I want like, to. <laughs> it would be hard if they're telling me, guys, nobody else is coming to fish these waters. And I'd be like, okay, that sounds great. And
1: <laughs> the, the thing that I want to also drive home on this article and. Something that I have noticed since me following it is today, it is currently 910, 912, Tuesday, April 13th, 2001. 21. Yes, 2021. <laughs> <laughs> you made such an effort oh. just <laughs> to mess it up. <laughs> as of right so now, specific. as of right now, and I checked before. We started recording. So unless something's happened in the past hour or so. Uh Uh-huh.
3: Nobody's covering it.
1: Nobody on social media who you follow, and if you do, and you see that someone has, tell me, I'll eat my words gladly. No one has said a single word about this. All these guys sit here and preach the Bible of public land but this is not a necessarily sexy topic but it is a topic that they're supposed to be covering why have they not covered it yeah to give people the opportunity to call your local representatives and if you go to the article on outdoor life's page it does give you the phone number and the email addresses of who to contact to say they should not be forwarded and all this like call your local senator or whatever it gives you that information, but none of these people have said anything yet. Maybe, the, maybe
3: there's not enough information out there. You said even looking up yourself, like to be honest, I, I will to be, be. honest, looking at the parties involved, there's probably a
1: little bit more to it than just like there probably what it, we're saying. there probably is. But me as why individual,
2: that, why did I'm curious? Why does that frustrate you so
1: much that no one else has covered it? Because it shouldn't be the meme pages. Of Instagram, who are driving the true hard topic issues and trying to make public awareness of issues that are affecting public lands? When you are the one so who sits there you're, and says, "You are saying that you saw this on a meme page." That's where it initially. first came up on my in my radar. So,
2: meme meme hunting and hunting Instagram pages, for let's just say, for example,
1: are covering this topic, but the big wigs, the ones to preach. M- public land and shove it down your throat which i'm all for public land don't get me wrong that's not what i'm saying the ones who have the voice and the main following right now on any social media platforms in the hunting industry have not said a word and they're the ones with the most reach of individuals who could actually call their representatives and make something happen
2: Hmm. president do you have any thoughts
1: I have a lot
4: of thoughts okay. there regarding this topic. There are a lot over everything. I haven't
2: I haven't <clears throat> seen Cliff this fired up in a long time. In a while. Time. I know yeah. usually it's like when we meet him go head to head. And I'm like <laughs> you know, I don't I don't know. Yeah. I I mean, I my, I, my, I agree with the article and what you're saying, but I I don't understand the being fired up about other people not posting because
1: about Because they're it. the names in it. These people have the resources. Their job is the hunting industry. My job is to write POs for a small home builder in San Antonio. Mm -hmm. That is not my job. And this was very minimal effort, once I became aware of it, to find all this. Now, those people are being paid to be a voice in the hunting industry, or they are the voice in the public land sphere for the conversation uh, in America right now. Why are they not doing the heavy lifting? Why do you why do you, maybe we shouldn't speculate like this,
2: but I'm curious, do you and feel really, like there's another motive as to why no, they're I, not I why they're
1: not I'm not saying that they're being malice. I don't say I'm not saying that they're ill intent. I'm just saying why is it that the meme joker pages and one dude in San Antonio and I'm sure there's a lot more <laughs> but one dude in San Antonio who runs a podcast with four of his other buddies Mm-hmm. Why are they the ones talking about this right now, but your big pages, your big groups, groups that I have respected in the past, groups that I still respect in the past for certain things, why are they not towing this line?
3: All right, but you said literally you saw this today, though, right? Like the meme? No, I, the I
1: saw this yesterday. Okay. I'm just saying benefit of
3: the doubt. Give, right. give them some time. If, and, like if you I are said, really going to gather in, information you want to interview, even like one person about it, it might take four or five days. But
1: this is, like I said, this is from this article, right. which means this information has been out there longer than this article. For sure. And these people are supposed to have a beat. Preston has something to say. Go ahead. So
4: this, these are general thoughts. Less less about um kind of time stream. So one of the things that kind of... A, occurs to me immediately is I have no numbers or no clue what kind of impact outside hunters are really kind of, I'm going to use the word providing because I can't think of another one. I heard numbers in there, something I'm just going to spitball. It's like 2 and 3%? 2 and 3-ish percent. So right offhand, I'm not even going to do math it's late at night for that, but 2 or 3% of 200 and something thousand on top of i'm sure natural causes right animals that just don't make it there are predators and such i'm sure so that by those numbers it sounds like outside influences wouldn't be a big enough problem at that rate at 2 and 3%. Now if they've got some reason to think there's like this mounting People from the world over, just like picking up to go shoot caribou in Alaska, I, maybe there's something on the wind that they're trying to fight off.
1: Like maybe they know something that we don't. Like for some reason, caribou hunting just skyrocketed this right. year. Well, that but, that
2: hunting trip is not a cheap trip. So no, for the average not. for the average guy, you have to fly to Alaska, then fly probably multiple planes to remote Alaska. Right. You're looking at ten thousand dollars minimum.
4: And so it, thing. it sounds unlikely that that's a problem or a concern mm-hmm. immediately. Um, but I, I think there's probably something to the whole, well, this is our place, and so, you know, we would like to have more control over it. I guess in my head, as a complete outsider, like, I... I can almost say with certainty, I'll never fly to Alaska to go shoot a caribou, right? right. That's, that is so far out of my, like, everything <laughs> yeah. that I have no dog in this fight. Um, but in the same way, I could fully understand, right? A, there being a draw, there being limitations to it. But yeah, especially one animal per hunter, in the, if I remember correctly, that was July to September. Sounds super reasonable. Um, I mean, you, it would take a lot of people paying a lot of money to fly up there, even if you wanted to create. Yeah, local guides. I think that'd be awesome. So I'm not sure where the rub is, but I understand the frustration about why isn't anybody talking about this? Right, um, which is
1: which is my point, and I want to I want to say, like I said. Those people are pages and stuff that I regularly watch, I regularly listen to, I follow. I respect them for certain spheres of things. I just feel like they should be the ones pushing this forward in the forefront of people's minds. Now, if they start doing it or if I've missed something, I will gladly eat my words. But this property right now is being held underneath Bureau of Land Management, which is federally funded by our tax dollars we have a right to it you can't just cut us out and still you can't have your cake and eat it too cool yeah
2: well let's move on <laughs> thanks cliff uh i'll go next sounds good on a more lighthearted note uh on patrol Uh, is my segment
3: what's up with on patrol this week
2: on patrol 17 dumbest things people have done in u.s national parks Ooh, from (laughs) insider uh insider.com i already love this uh yeah me and my dad might go to yellowstone for a day this year and i know zach's going to yellowstone this year Going for like a week a week so uh so here we go
0: this episode is brought to you by cox contour tv Sometimes it's hard to decide what to watch, but Cox Contour TV helps make that decision easier. Enjoy live TV, on-demand programs, DVR recordings, and music all in one place, and only with the sound of your voice with the Contour voice remote. Plus, catch the golf and basketball action you've been waiting for on the Contour Sports app. Learn more at coxcox.com slash contour. This episode is brought to you by Cox Contour TV. Sometimes it's hard to decide what to watch, but Cox Contour TV helps make that decision easier. Enjoy live TV, on-demand programs, DVR recordings, and music all in one place, and only with the sound of your voice with the Contour voice remote. Plus, catch the golf and basketball action you've been waiting for on the Contour sports app. Learn more at coxcox.com slash contour.
2: Um, I'm just going to hit the good ones. I'm not going to read all 17. Uh, Four men tried to walk into the 160-degree geothermal hot springs in Yellowstone National Park. Uh, This
3: happens, like, every (laughs) couple of years, man. (laughs) It's like they just melt their faces off.
2: Yeah, no. uh, First of all, it's a pristine – those hot springs are a very pristine environment, and they are very – Yellowstone is very explicit about saying do not touch it because it's so pristine. Um, And then on top of that, you're – who knows what you could burn yeah. off by by doing that. Also,
3: there's a ton of bacteria living in it.
2: Yeah. Um, a woman graffitied her Instagram handle all over several national parks. Yeah.
4: Sounds like a I really I think I good covered way. this
2: one, like, early on, like, honey hole, honey hole Hangout early days. I think she probably was. She went – that's a federal crime, right? Yeah. it um, Instagram artist named Casey Knockett was banned from all national parks for life. After graffiti of her Instagram handle was documented in seven different parks in 2014,
4: sounds like a good way to just have all of your social media just bombarded with hate. Yeah. Like, oh yeah, right. I, I,
3: everybody can hate the person who tags.
4: Well, that. Yeah. Uh, there's the meme passport. pages
2: too. Like Cliff was talking about, there's that um, National Parks Public Lands hate you uh, page and stuff like that, where they call out like influencers who are breaking the rules to get like the best picture, right? And then those like. Shoot, they have so many thousands of followers and then they bombard those, you know, yeah. Instagram, uh Instagrammers. Uh next one. Two people decided to load up a bison calf in the back of their car. It later had to be killed. Ooh, in May, two visitors to Yellowstone saw saw what they thought was an abandoned bison calf. Instead of leaving wildlife alone or alerting a ranger, the tourists loaded the calf in the back of their SUV in a rescue attempt. The calf later had to be euthanized because it, were, it was rejected from its herd. Oh, man. That's such a crappy that's, thing. To I know. It's yeah, super rough. This one's a great one. Maybe my favorite. A woman smoked meth inside the hollow <laughs> trunk of a 3,500-year-old <laughs> tree she started a fire and the entire and the entire tree burned down.
3: No. Yes. Oh, I mean, my you said this was
2: lighthearted. This is super depressing. <laughs> I cried right? every second of this.
1: <laughs> I mean, if she didn't burn it down, like she could have claimed it as like a spiritual journey. <laughs> um some tourists think Bear spray
2: works like bug repellent and sprayed the hot chemicals all over their body. Oh, my gosh. Uh, See, that one's way better. This yeah. is lighthearted. <laughs> yeah, that was That's, good. that's lighthearted. <laughs> Burning down
3: <laughs> centuries-old trees.
2: Um, nice. Boy Scout leaders in Utah cheered as they pushed over a 2,000-year-old rock formation because they thought it was dangerous. Nice. And it's like in this, like, Stonehenge-looking, like, rock formation. It's this huge boulder.
3: I've um, never heard of, like... Leave no trace. Leave it better than you found it. It's yeah. like Boy Scout 101. Well,
1: yeah. they were trying to protect others. So you go up to, I mean, you go to Stonehenge. It's a bunch of rocks standing on a small edge. Somebody big, can get hurt. And just just Someone go ahead can... and knock them down.
4: Yeah, those faces on Mount Rushmore are looking awful precarious. Let's just go, like, make sure nobody gets hurt by falling noses. And Yeah. Like,
2: what? Go ahead and just sandblast that off. <laughs> People in Everglades National Park tried to take home baby alligators as pets. Uh, and I think this has been me. covered on our podcast as well. Um, a man dropped a rock from the top of a busy hiking trail in, in the Grand above a busy hiking trail in the Grand Canyon, nearly hitting several hikers. Dang. Um, a person on a whale watching tour asked the guide what elevation they were at. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty <laughs> the funny. The answer sea level. <laughs> Uh, a man <laughs> dove headfirst into 200 degrees Fahrenheit thermal water to try to rescue a dog. Both died. Yeah, is probably more. I see that I'm as not like a reaction. That the dog died. I is, I see that as like someone's dog jumped in, and the reaction is to like jump in and save it. And there's not it. even that thinking. Yeah,
3: you're just like, oh, I'm gonna save my dog.
2: Yeah, yeah. Tourists tried and failed to light fossilized wood on fire, which also happens to be illegal.
3: Mm-hmm. Trying to light fossilized wood on fire or mm-hmm. lighting
2: anything on fire? Uh, Fossilized wood, but I would also not recommend lighting things on fire in a national park. Yeah,
4: none of it's good. But yeah, yes. so petrified wood is a protected... You're not supposed to take it. You're not supposed to really? destroy it. Yeah, yeah, all that kind of stuff. It's it's super hard, from what I understand, for it to like exist. Yeah. And so... It's a very limited and rare... That makes so sense. So you shouldn't kind
1: of whittle on it. I don't no.
4: think you can because it becomes... Also, it would be very difficult. Yeah, it's like a fossil. Yeah. You would need, like, my knife to do that. <laughs> <laughs> then you Not have
2: to... no Texaco. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, visitors complained to hosta- hotel staff that the Bears and Yellowstone weren't trained to come out and play. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
3: That's pretty great. <laughs>
2: Boy Scouts decided to cut down several young trees in a national park and were fined heftily. Why did they cut them down? Um, a, bo- a group of Boy Scouts decided they wanted to try and build a raft and started sawing away at young trees. This is super illegal. That's, I said it how the article wrote it. I <laughs> think that they, uh, they were caught and got fined something like $3,000 per tree.
1: What uh, is it with the Boy Scouts like? Messing this up. They've been on this like two, three times now. I know. Well, that was the uh, Creature Watch last week. Many people have gotten
2: too close to bison in Yellowstone, often in hopes of snapping an amazing Instagram picture, but ends up with serious injuries in the process. Oh,
3: that's good to know. I was going to get really close to some bison.
2: Uh, McKenna told me size of your thumb is a safe distance. The animal is the size of your thumb. That's so tiny. I know. I was like, oh my I feel I'm like a, get little a little bit, little closer. bit closer. Maybe
3: size my fist. <laughs> so
2: I,
4: I get it though, because I mean, these are animals. They are faster than you, yeah. right? And so, if he's close enough that you can, like, he can be at you in just no time flat. And so yeah, I get it. At least in or close enough to your car. Yeah. Yeah. If you're size of your fist, you need to be like oh, yeah, in yeah, your if vehicle. It, if
3: it was like this far away, my size of my fist, I would have like my door open and be kind of like Yeah, you know.
4: But if you're in the middle of Yellowstone, not in your car, yeah, dude. Keep oh, him yeah. keep him thumb distance. I'll keep him thumb. What's
1: ethical cool hunting range with a bow? Twenty to forty five yards. Yeah. That's how close you should be.
4: <laughs> no. At Yellowstone. With your bow. oh, An endangered bison. What are you saying here, Cliff? I didn't hear
1: that it was endangered or specifically Yellowstone. I don't know. National parks. Well, we were measuring with our thumbs and fists.
2: Uh, Ill-prepared hikers thought they could summit Mount Whitney in two to three days with only cliff bars as fuel. Sounds reasonable. Yeah.
1: Yeah. How many cliff bars? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, if you got like a few hundred <laughs> a truckload of cliff bars uh
2: someone else reported I ran into a group of about four people who are trying to hike Mount Whitney and back in 2 to 3 days around 70 to 80 miles uh round trip from where they started and they only brought cliff bars and a space blanket
1: so they're going ultra light yeah that's it dang yeah how
2: um how long is that trip supposed to take you oh uh, if you can do if you are real, like if you're on a mountain, some if you can do 15 miles a day, you're cranking. And it's at
3: what 60 to 80 round trip?
2: 70 to 80 round trip. Okay. Yeah. Okay,
3: so it, it should take you five to six days, and that's if you're it, a and good it's slower,
2: experience. slower pace. If you're going up, maybe like you'd be probably well pressed for like seven to ten miles going up, and you could probably get closer to. 15 to 20 so it takes at least coming a week. down yeah, to do it. And the,
1: that is, you're busting
2: it. Busting it. But,
1: but those are people carrying full packs full of heavy equipment <laughs> and stuff. These people are <laughs> carrying two or three-cliff bars in <laughs> the space blanket in their back pocket. They got so. it four days. <laughs> <They're good. laughs> so there, there is this
4: thing, if you're like familiar with, I don't know, aviation, where you do need a certain amount of fuel to get you to your destination, but also you don't want too much. There's a fine line you got to meet here. <laughs> And I don't feel like cliff bars is enough minimum weight that like you we can said, just, like, they're I, definitely how many the cliff they take? Let's sprint 30
1: miles a day up <laughs> yeah. this mountain. And- <laughs> just <laughs> knock it out. They're ultra light, Just moving. They can do it, guys. Oh, man. All right. I'm done. That- right, you guys ready?
3: All right, guys. So we are here for Creature Watch. And today I'm bringing you the story of the Ozark Howler. Have you guys heard of this before? No, no.
1: I actually
2: is it a howler monkey that's in the Ozarks? It is not. Well, the Noah Havocs.
3: So it is also known as the black howler or the devil cat. Interesting. All right, now I have two dates. Right. Uh, Congratulations. (laughs) I thought you were married. (laughs) Uh, So when do you guys want to go with? The sightings were originally or, uh, officially recorded, or when hearings about the Ozark Halter first happened.
1: Original sightings. Okay,
3: wait, wait, original. Okay, it's like when they're documented.
1: No, like when you first start. The the you can date. bind yeah. both of his questions. The, with the older one day. Okay, <laughs> anyway, so let's go. When
3: when when did we first <laughs> start hearing <laughs> variations? Speculation. Yes. Yeah, speculation. 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 Okay. When do uh when do you guys like, think it's this happened?
1: Does this mean someone like says they saw it or were, like i bet there's a howler there were rum- tiger there thingy.
3: Are, okay let's go with there are rumblings of a creature with this description in the woods but they had not given it a name yet
4: 1953
2: okay 1891 okay 18
1: this is in i'll pay you ten dollars to say 1776 <laughs> no, this was. Oh, it. <laughs> you get ten
3: dollars, otherwise you get nothing <laughs> except okay. for bragging rights. Seventeen seventy six. I don't have cash. But <laughs> <laughs> um, well, guys, early eighteen hundreds. So you were closest, anyways. So uh, I, mean, I was.
1: I was really originally going to say you said in the Ozarks, so I'm assuming Arkansas area. Yep, exactly. I was going to say probably eight. 1930s is yeah, what I was saying. Early going to
3: 1800s say. is when they kind of say people were first starting to talk about it. Um, however, you were very close to your 1953 because that's when they officially started documenting these sightings. Um, so, wait, 1953,
1: exactly? So he got it like right on the money 1950,
3: for that? around there. I'd give it to him. Congrats. Yeah. So he <laughs> won. He gets to keep his $10 now. Awesome. <laughs> I, I <didn't> agree. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, the description is, is a size of a bear. With thick, with a thick body, right? It's also got some thick with like two C's, stocky legs. Uh, it's got this black shaggy fur, and it has <laughs> what? thick with two C's. <laughs> <laughs> thick <with> two.
6: <laughs> Freaking Nicki Minaj running around <laughs> through the Ozark.
3: <laughs> oh man! Uh, it also has these prominent horns that come out too. Uh, if you look for pictures of it, they're it's weird. It's like. A bear with, like, two antlers.
1: So, is it like the Hormone Monster off of Big Mouth?
3: Similar. Not really. But, yeah, mm. I guess. Um,
1: now, why do you guys think they call it the Ozark Howler? Because it lives in the Ozarks, uh-huh. and it makes noises like a howl.
3: Yeah, exactly. Right. So, <laughs> the biggest thing about this is its cry is similar to a wolf howl mixed with an elk bugle. Um, now, some people say that it's a cougar, right? They're like, eh, it's, you know, that's cougars were there. However, there's not really a breeding population of cougars in Arkansas that would justify this. Um, people have shared these stories year over year, right? A lot of people have, like, grandparents that would pass these stories down to their children and then their children's children and that kind of thing, right? So it's a super big, like, folktale in this area.
1: This looks like a mangy, dark pronghorn with a longer tail.
3: Yeah, there's some scarier pictures. So that lives in the woods right obviously in the Ozarks um and there have been sightings through Oklahoma and even North Texas so we have our very own Ozark howler here um now in
1: 2005 can you also pay $5 to a man I'm sure you can tent?
3: there's got to be a county fair somewhere where you can pay 5 bucks to get <laughs> to see this just go through all of them <laughs> exactly you got to hit it fine eventually uh in 2005 a family was camping and they managed to take some blurry photos of, uh, of this monster, right? Of this mysterious beast. Uh, but scientists say that that photo is really probably just a big cat that was released by a family as their pet.
1: That's just a bad Like, like a $100. house
6: cat?
3: No, no, no. Like, you know how people are like, okay. have like the real crazy like, pant, big cats? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got it. Um. So, back on its how. People say it is the eeriest sound you will ever hear. It is like hearing a child screaming mixed with an animal in distress. Like... It is, yeah, yeah, but like louder and and, and uh, worse. The sound has actually been so creepy it has sent hunters home early from their trips because of how disturbed they were from hearing it. No, oh, they were just tired.
4: I was, are they gun hunters? Because, like, dude, it would take <laughs> a lot for me to leave with my rifle.
3: So uh, we talked about the 1800s, but it's because it is slowly based on the Ku Sith, which... In the 1800s, a lot of Scottish and Irish people started to immigrate here, right? They found themselves in the Ozarks. And, of course, when you come here, right, you bring all your family stuff with you, but you also bring a lot of
1: your stories from your homeland. I thought that was the next Sith Lord. <laughs> the Cusith? Yeah.
3: <laughs> I don't know if that's how you say it, but that's how it's spelled. So we're going to go with that. Um, so they brought this Cusith story, right? Or another name for it is the Harbinger of
6: Death. Good. No big deal. deal. Uh,
3: So, people actually believe um, the harbinger of death or the Kusith was a large bear like creature that had long green or black fur, right? So, very similar. Um, Now, its initial thing was it would hunt down people who had escaped death. So, say, like you were, I don't know, in a a buggy accident, right? Because they didn't have cars (laughs) And, uh, and you survived, right? But you weren't supposed to. So, this guy would be coming after you. Uh, it hunted silently, but just before it would kill its prey, it would let out three blood-curdling screams or wails. Um, now, the last thing you'd ever hear, but by the third wail, the victims would be so terrified that they would literally just freeze until the, the, the monster got them. Um, it was also said to abduct nursing women to bring back home to the Wilds. that way uh, they could have milk for their, uh, the fairy children. The so, fairy children. The fairy children. Yep, things ter- take a 90-degree turn there. Yes. It's kind of weird. Uh, however, it makes sense, though, that these people, the Scottish and Irish people who moved, would bring their Cusa story, and eventually that would turn into the Ozark Howler. So if you are ever in the woods and you hear two blood-curdling scream, I would start running.
1: Especially if you're in Arkansas.
3: Especially if you're in Arkansas. So, that is a story Thanks, of Zach. the Ozark Howler guys.
2: All right, Preston,
1: back to archery.
2: So, we talked about a little bit about competition. Do you mostly shoot
1: uh, traditional?
4: Yes, uh, for That's... about four and a half years now,
1: give or take. Okay. He has a special term for compound shooters. What is it? He calls them training wheels. You're
4: making crap up now. Okay. Now I've, I've said that before. So the not, not to disparage at all compound archery, but whenever somebody, I get the question all the time in my industry, what's the difference? Or like, why would I shoot one or the other? And I give the explanation. A compound bow is honestly, it's a better machine. Like, let's just be honest. It's like comparing a bicycle to a car in a lot of ways, right? Cars are easier to get where you need to go. But when it comes to archery, there's a lot of things that are unintuitive anyway. And so adding complexity and also, I'll say benefit or ease to the shooter, makes it really easy to rely on how the machine helps you and not put in some of the work yourself. So I know a lot of people who've only ever shot compound and I'll be honest, like are not as good as they could be. They're like, I've been shooting for 25 years. And I'm like, man, that's rough. Like (laughs) you, you could be so much better than this in 25 years worth of time. Like, um, but because it just, it doesn't aid itself to, uh, to thinking about how to get better. Like it's easy enough to be like, man, that's pretty good. I'm cool with it. And so when somebody asks me, how do you like, what's the difference? Why should I do one or the other? And I say like, if you can learn to be relatively proficient with a recurve bow, go into a compound, bow is like putting training wheels back on your bike. It's like you've learned how to do it the hard way. You can figure out a little bit how to coast and you can get just so good. Um, I won't call it with no effort, but like you'll be mentally prepared to handle all the things, especially if you go the other direction, shooting compound to recurve. You will not be ready for how that functions and how to work through doing it, air quotes, the right way.
2: So do you do you advocate for people to shoot recurve first? Not in all circumstances,
4: but especially for younger people and people who are not physically up for, like, if you can't pull a hunting weight with your bow, but you want to learn to do archery, like, every time. I'm like, recurve is a really good way to get a foundation. Um, a lot of people come in and they have the express goal. They're like, at the end of this year, early year, or next year, like, I know I want to bow hunt. I'll give them usually a different path forward. I'll still advocate that they work hard at it and learn to do it in a, I'll call it, mindful way where they're paying attention to these same considerations. But I don't necessarily go, you should buy a bow that you don't really want to own so that eventually you'll be perfect. You can get there without. But, like, people come in with their seven-year-olds and want them to get a compound bow to shoot well, the mass weight of the bow is prohibitive for a seven-year-old, even at the lightest like compound bows available. And you're still going to pay $250, 300 a for $100. You can get a U3 curve bow that is a solid, functional, not a toy, not a shadow of what a bow could be. And they can learn to do it in a, once again, in my opinion, more mindful, consistent way. And then they'll be you know there's a learning curve you have to learn how to use sites now and potentially a trigger release but you'll be set up for like whatever a bow can throw at you you'll know how to work your way through it if you've started there uh. um is i guess my ultimate way of saying it sure anybody that wants to should always try a recurve bow um i'll recommend that to anyone but i don't necessarily like sell that to people if they can get into a compound bow that works for them
1: mm. basically now I've only ever seen you shoot recurve bow. Do you have a compound?
4: Yeah. Um so I own two compound bows and now two recurve bows. I had three and I gave one to a buddy as a present. Um That's but it's all like it's all I like I guess you could say it care to shoot. Um it challenges me in a more like a real direct way. Um and so if I can practice, that's what I'm going to spend my time practicing. Not to say once again that there isn't skill involved. There's still a lot of that goes into a compound. But I can take the things and just apply them over from recurve to compound. And I don't feel the need to practice a ton with my compound bow. Because I go, here's how I'm going to adapt this. And now the bow's working for me. So I can XYZ. I get used to here's my trigger. Here's how I use it. I need to now think about how a sight works instead of gap shooting, estimating based off the tip of my arrow, where the arrow will go, stuff like that. Um, But yeah, I feel as if I'm a better shooter now than I've ever been. And yeah, I haven't sighted in or dialed my compound bow in a while, but give me a week and I think I can reacquaint myself well enough to do whatever needs done.
2: How so? You do uh, competition. How how often? How much do you practice to be at that high level of competition? During,
4: basically, I've been more lax with it than I feel like I really should be. But whenever I start gearing up for it, really, which usually starts in call it June or July for season starts in October and ends in February for indoor target archery. Um, I start shooting two to three times a week minimum, and I usually want to put myself through more than 60 arrows per session.
3: Oh, wow, okay.
4: So I start out slower than that because usually it's been six months since I shot my bow last or at least much um, shooting. And then I will roll from 20, 30 arrows, get my shoulders back conditioned a little bit, and usually I start getting to where I'm shooting for 100 arrows if I've got it in me about 3 times a week. And so there's obviously more dedication that could be put into it. I would like to just maintain 100 arrow uh, you know go into the range any given day of the week and shoot mm-hmm. that. Um but I don't have that power in me right now. I have you know
2: you, a bit. you talked a little bit about cost a second ago. I would guess that maybe 10% or less of our listeners um shoot bows or bow hunt okay. what uh if someone was looking into getting into bow hunting what would route would you suggest they go and then what is the cost of entry That is a. I know that's a hard question because fly fishing, there's different costs of of entry. But let's just let's just play like you know we're 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 hardworking people. We're working on a budget. We want to be ethical with our hunting, but we we want something that's nice and uh, right. Not
3: gonna break the bank, but also like not maybe like the cheapest thing out there. Mm -hmm. We are outdoorsmen generally. You know, what would you recommend? So once the good news is,
4: I answer this question a lot and it really does there's a little bit of the individual does matter Um, for anybody in this room right now we could all go pick up a bow for 350 bucks that will effectively do the thing one of the things that happens a lot though is there's a lot of taller dudes out there that cannot do that at least not one that fits them a bow fitting you is really important in a lot of ways. Um, I don't even know what else to describe it as, but being able to use your body the way your body is designed to work and use a bow that allows you to do that is a huge thing for consistency. Um, There are several brands that make bows for less than $500 as a package bow, meaning you have the bow itself and any mounted to the bow equipment you would need to hunt that will not include a release device something you either hold in your hand or strap to your wrist and use a trigger to fire will not include any arrows or hunting tips for those arrows Um, but so for sub $500 you can get a functional device with which you can definitely go hunt one of the things that you'll notice though is like with anything when you start to test the next step up and you have the proficiency there are gains to be made of course between the five and eight hundred dollars on the bow and potentially accessories you can get a very competent bow i usually will lump in arrows and release separately from that just to give people a what I really think is serving you right. If you go, I want to hunt, that's where I recommend you go. Or plan to try and be before hunting is right there on your radar. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a learning curve to it. It takes some time. There's nothing wrong with the ones that are in that sub-500 in terms of learning and whatnot. But usually... As a shooter, you can outgrow the consistency and performance those bows allow you. So if you've got somebody to
1: pass it to... kind of what happened with me.
4: Yes, that's exactly what happened with you. Um, Now, you you realized and you made a change. Now, your bow was perfectly suitable. It was well in that range there. Um, But yeah, you hit a point and you go, I really like this. I don't feel like this is quite cutting it anymore. Um, and I like with cars right there, you get a car that you need to drive every day. This is my survival car, if you will. There's nothing wrong with that. But if you decide that every other weekend you want to go race it around a racetrack somewhere, maybe an investment into a different thing Mm -hmm. is beneficial.
2: How much do you think someone should practice to become proficient? Um, I know that's I know these yep. questions are hard, for but sure. my my thought process in asking these to you is like I'm thinking about our listeners that don't do this that have expressed interest to us. This is something I'd really like to do, so I'm just trying to set realistic expectations. Or maybe a for better them. question
3: is like somebody who's just learning, right? Uh, maybe let's say they want to hunt and ne- not this year coming, but maybe next year. Right. Um, is there something with like that can be damaging with going too much and shooting too many arrows during your session? So, the, that's
4: a great question. And those two can be combined very nicely, yeah. I think. Um, in my opinion, too many arrows would be defined by either it is going to physically tear you up because you are exceeding your physical boundary or you're exceeding your mental capability to do your shot properly. And so, I see a lot of people that will say, I want to bow hunt and they go out and they shoot potentially what you might call too much. There's a point where your desire to achieve shooting a bow exceeds your ability to make sure you're not doing things that will hurt your consistency and or your body. They just want to shoot arrows.
1: Let me ask you this, because you were there when I first started, and you saw how often I went, and now hearing like, there is that, I mean, I I know, like, there is a mental aspect to it. Like, you get mentally drained from it, and you get physically drained from it. When I was going in there, I was going in, what, like, four or five times a week and yep. staying from five to close, mm-hmm. pretty much. Was there a time you were like, this kid needs to go home and chill for a minute? The, in terms of how long you want to be
4: a place, I'll never tell anybody. Like, you shouldn't keep trying, but the thing I do offer to Anybody, especially anybody who wants a lesson or whatnot, is when you no longer know why your arrow went where it went, hang it up. And I, that's a, for me, hard and fast rule because you've either started making worse decisions in your shot. Um, for those of you unfamiliar, I realize I've probably gotten a little away from, I, when I instruct archery, I give people a checklist, or a recipe, you could call it. This is how I want you to achieve the thing you're doing. You are always welcome to tweak it and tinker with it, but if every part of your shot's not an intentional decision to do the thing this way, in my opinion, you are making a mistake. You are putting something ahead of
1: Form that's your process.
2: That's and I was actually that was going to be my next question to you because when Cliff shot his hog, he talked about on the process he knew the next step he needed to take throughout the whole process Mm -hmm. to fire the arrow. Right. So walk us through. Would you mind walking us through that checklist? I'd be happy to. Okay. This is once again
4: flexible and editable for anybody, but one of the things that gets passed is loading your bow right if you haven't put your arrow in the right position and made sure it is secured the arrow has to sit on something we call it an arrow rest the arrow goes there the arrow needs to click firmly onto your string if it doesn't click onto your string via the knock um you're welcome to look these things up if it doesn't click onto your string something's probably wrong it's not been settled in place right now if you're hunting likely you have knocked your arrow before your animal has showed up because there is probably a tangible noise that comes with that. You've got your arrow knocked and you're sitting there waiting your animal shows up. Most of us for compound archery should be using a release device of some form. You now need to hook that to your string securely like with the arrow to make sure that when you start pulling it doesn't unhook itself because now you've either punched yourself in the face, probably, or you've made a bunch of motion. Your animal now knows you're there. You're going to, in my opinion, usually raise your bow before you start pulling. If you watch a movie or you have a thing in your head that goes, I know what archery looks like, and it's a push and a pull, especially in an upward or a downward direction, there's a lot of ways to end up physically not lined up the way you want to be. So, I extend toward the target or wherever you need to stretch if you're in a blind maybe it's off to the left but you've extended then pulled in my opinion keeps your arm out of the way make sure your hand is set on the bow where you want then you're going to achieve full draw you pull the bow till it stops you on a compound on a recurve it's a slightly different thing y'all can ask later if you want pull it till it achieves full draw and keep it locked while you anchor your hand or your release against generally your head in a consistent place. I tell a lot of people index finger knuckle where your finger meets your fist to the soft spot behind your ear where your jawbone meets your skull. That's a pretty solid place. It's hard to not be in the right spot if you've achieved that contact. From there you have to find first your rear sight than your front sight in order to be able to actually aim it. So you should be setting in a not moving your head a bunch position, anchor, find your rear sight, find your front sight, bring that to your target. Once you're on target, doesn't have to be exactly where you want to hit that thing, this is where I disagree with a ton of people, find your trigger with your trigger finger and make contact with it. Your finger should not be heavy enough to make your trigger go off at that point if you're thinking about your trigger. Mentally, we get out of sorts and we focus on the target so hard that we've actually mashed into it and it goes off before we think we're ready when we're learning, so we become scared of the trigger and we usually don't touch it and we aim for like 30 seconds till we finally find it and then boom, it all happens at once and now I don't know where my arrow went. So, I find the trigger, wrap into it, so you should be ready to go, and even if you decide to punch it, as we say, where you pick your spot and you it needs to go right now, you've made contact and you're ready to actually go off, instead of now I've got to move two inches to the trigger, then hit it, then pull it hard enough to make it go off, because then you're stacking these bad decisions on top of each other. You get there. You've aimed, you put the pin for the proper distance, your sight reticle, if you will, where you want it to hit, and then you can either squeeze it until it goes off slowly and steadily with your trigger finger, like you're trying not to break an egg, but see how hard you can push the shell until it explodes.
2: Mm, That's a good analogy. Yeah.
4: Or you can, for most of us, punch it, but you're touching. You're where you need to be, that quick motion is more likely to hit where it should than the other options there. And that's the thing that I will any day of the week, like come to me and go, well, I'm a trigger puncher and I shoot well. I'll fix you. Give me 30 <laughs> minutes. We'll get that taken. Is, <laughs> and See, that's one this,
1: thing. I do punch. I, I feel know, like I punch. You do. Yeah. And I don't know how to fix it. <laughs> come take another lesson.
2: Is there, and this whole process you just spelled out, is you're thinking about each step of the process every time you pull, you shoot the arrow. Yes. Every decision is a thoughtful act. Right.
4: Because if you don't, a lot of people use the word muscle memory, if you haven't intentionally chosen to do that thing, unless you are putting in Olympic-level, NFL-level, Major League Baseball-level practice, and literally a million repetitions a year these things are not intuitive and your brain will not make these choices subconsciously and so if you don't make those choices intentionally almost certainly you have chosen something different and usually it's to stare at your target really hard while you go through the vague motion of an archery shot everywhere else and almost assuredly you'll end up with something different.
6: Mm.
4: Or if you don't, like you can get good at it, but if you went and you shot 100 arrows in a practice session, like I'm talking about, there will almost definitely be a point where an arrow goes somewhere and you have no idea why it hit there. You know, that was weird if you haven't thought about every part of this
2: process. Mm. yeah. That no, makes that makes sense. sense. Is there anything with breathing while you're shooting?
4: You should continue. Yes. (laughs) Um, In my opinion, it is less important than in things like precision rifle shooting. Okay. Um, Because there are different considerations. You are physically holding back an amount of weight. And so trying to regulate your movement to the breath is not quite the same as your heart beats the thing that makes your rifle move. That's, they're a little bit different. And so when you've set yourself up in this, you're aiming, you're slowly squeezing the trigger while you keep the pin in the general area you want it to be, um, you will always move. And so you're setting yourself up for gradual approaching of success instead of I need to make sure I breathe out as I squeeze my trigger. I don't find that to be, I haven't made myself do that in a beneficial way, I've tried it before. It didn't give me the results I wanted. And so I, I'm not preaching that at anybody. I couldn't find a way to make that consistent um, myself. And I don't preach things I can't do.
2: What type of grouping should someone be shooting? Like if they're going out and practicing and they're like, I want to be an ethical hunter. What size grouping should someone be shooting Uh, to, and I know, I know sure. all these questions are loaded, but no. what what do you think as far as like a grouping size? Someone should be trying to achieve. Um... See, you're
4: teeing me up perfectly. Okay. I know you feel like you're asking tough questions, but once again, every day. No, no, you're... I
2: know. And I worked in a fly shop <laughs> and I got like the same types of questions, but applied to fly fishing. So,
4: so on the previously mentioned um, National Field Archery Association indoor target face, say- one side's one gigantic blue circle, the other is five white and blue circles. In my opinion, when people go, Well, how do I know when I should increase my poundage or when I'm ready or whatever? My answer is usually on purpose a little unreasonable because if you're even trying to achieve what I'm putting out, you're in the right place mentally, in my opinion. There is the one or the five ring, rather, mm-hmm. is awesome. If you can keep all your arrows at any 10 yards, if you can keep all your arrows in the 5 ring on that target, you're ready to bump yourself back out of 60 arrows, in my opinion. You get to 15 yards, you do the same thing again. You get to 20 yards, try and do the same thing again. It is a very difficult feat. But if you're achieving that kind of consistency regularly, then you are Proving yourself mentally capable of moving on to the next thing, whether that is an animal out there or whatnot. Lungs on an animal are larger than this circle that I'm, you know, telling people they should be trying to achieve. But what also happens is your heart rate is going to be different. It's going to accelerate when there's a thing that can turn and look at you at any second. You've got to be so quiet. And so all these features stack up, and you can go, yeah, man, I shoot this well, I'm super great, but there's another level of pressure that's hard to prepare for. So if you make your minimum acceptable grouping tighter, mm-hmm. then Luster it will it will be right, it will be easier. The whole make sure you can see the white of their eyes, aim small, miss small, etc. A lot of people get a well, you know, deer lungs are like six inches across, so my grouping's four and a half inches, I'm fine. There are different considerations to take in to hunt, uh, Mm -hmm. to be honest. People do it all the time. But, yeah, if you came to me and you said, what do I need to do, this is the path I'm putting you on, is call it five ring on a 60 arrows, 20 yards. If you can manage that, dude, you should be able to do anything that requires doing. So, yeah.
2: You you guys have some questions. I've been asking all the questions.
1: I would say for. Can you hear me? Yeah, we can hear you fine. I would say for a newbie archer. What what would be the first five things that you would tell them that they need to learn about archery, like to get in there to understand, like they know like the nomenclature and all this other stuff. Not just your process, I understand process would be number one, yeah, um certainly, process number one really
4: for me if if you're trying to walk into random bow shop in any other place, the archery industry can be tough to navigate. there's a lot of um yeah, a lot of real specific terms you won't use anywhere else um, just. I guess becoming comfortable with knowing when to ask I think is would I'd say number 2. So process, yeah, if you can learn the process to work through and how to make yourself do it, you're on a good path. Technically, you can call, you know, a rose by any other name. You could say well my my new rifle and it's a diamond bow doesn't matter as much if you can make yourself learn to use it. But if you're trying to go into a shop Try and find the minimum difference, call it compound versus, I will call it other archery, traditional, which would be recurve or longbow. Shortbow exists, but they're fewer and farther between. If you can physically know what those look like before you walk into a shop and know what they're called, you got a leg up. That's a good place to be. And then knowing what your desires are from the bow and preferably a timeline that you'd like to fall into those um we have a ton of people walk in. they go i want to shoot a bow and they've got a preconceived notion in their head there's nothing wrong with that in fact i find it beneficial somebody comes to rent a bow i say they go i want to shoot a bow i go which one of these looks like what you want to shoot because generally, you'll probably be happier with that thing. If what's in your head is Robin Hood, a recurve bow will be closer to that. Now, it might be harder than it looks, but with relatively little, I would call expenditure, it's, it's just a little focus, it really is, you can learn to do that thing competently. If you're looking to get into bow hunting, find out, do you want to really rough it and go traditional archery? It'll be hard. Like I'm going to be real straightforward. I've done this for four years and I'm not comfortable going to shoot at an animal with it yet. I could do it, I'm sure. I'm not comfortable ethically, if you will. Um, what are your goals? How soon do you want to attempt to achieve them? Um, what is the way you prefer to achieve them? Compound recurve. And just generally, I would say have a know what an arrow is, what it looks like. Would um, you
1: say being able to read spine or anything like that would be. It could be helpful.
4: Um, I'd say that a lot depends on how your local shop is with that because you could really easily get steered the wrong way. What it's spine? so short.
1: What did, that's getting a little. That was the, where I'm
4: coming for you. That was getting a little in the in the weeds. There's a I number. feel like, it
1: is a question I was asking like pretty soon. That's yeah. why.
4: And it's a good one. There's a number on the arrow somewhere if it's not made out of some nameless factory across the seas that will indicate how flexible the arrow is. Okay. There is not a one-size-fits-all like, oh, well, stiffer is better. That is not how that works. Right. You want it to fit just right because the way a bow shoots, your arrow doesn't travel as straight as it looks. There should be flex to a certain extent where the arrow should be able to bend and maintain an approximately center line of the tip. It bends, straightens out over the course of about a yard and after that should be able to fly truly straighter so that your bow performs optimally. If it flexes too much it'll wobble all the way downrange. If it's too stiff, your tip will come out of that center line real bad and it'll be hard for it to recover and to go efficiently where it needs to go. Gotcha. You can sight in a bow with really off arrows as long as they're safe to shoot but they could be way better if they're the right stiffness, the spine. You'll usually see 500, 400, 340 are a pretty standard three-digit number. It's a measurement. I don't know the numbers exactly. You hang a weight from the middle of an arrow, it bends 0.34 of an inch, 0.4 of an inch. Smaller numbers in 90% that I know of. One company wasn't on it for a while smaller number is more stiff larger number is less stiff if you are taller-ish and pulling more poundage you need a more stiff arrow If you are shorter-ish and or pulling less poundage a less stiff arrow okay. is the
2: and you have a way to record. calculate this at the shop for
4: yeah most companies know. put out a chart that will lead you generally the right direction with Use, some wiggle room, probably. Right, with some wiggle room. They're usually going to go the safer side, which is a little stiffer. Okay. Um, Because liability and stuff, you won't blow up a stiffer arrow. You could blow up an under-stiff arrow. Okay. Um, It's real, it's pretty rare. Rare. You're but not just going to like look at the chart on the back and then walk out with an arrow that's going to blow up in your hands, um, even if they went down a stiffness. But we have a program that we subscribe to. Um, Is it okay to name drop?
3: Sure. Yeah, if you feel comfortable with it, we don't care.
4: So it's called Archer's Advantage. I don't recommend, like, just everybody needs to run out and get it. It's a great program, but it is more beneficial if you're constantly tinkering, like we're using this for customers. But so it lets us shoot your bow at your parameters length and weight through a chronograph and we now know a speed for a defined arrow and that program spits out the technically call it perfect world theoretical physics but tells us this is how much force your bow puts on this arrow and so x arrow would work for you Mm. and be like nearly perfect it is really good that's cool when it's given the right inputs
2: very cool well i think we're about at time preston probably Uh, thank (laughs) you for coming on um do you do lessons i do um do you want to give people a way to reach out to you in case they're now interested in doing a lesson
4: that would be great slash fine so i will name drop i wasn't going to originally i work at mission ridge range and academy in san antonio texas um, you're welcome to call us at our phone number. I'll let you do the Google search on that. If you would like to email me directly, it'll be my name, which is Preston, P-R-E-S-T-O-N, dot Andrus, A-N-D-R-U-S, as in Sierra, at com. I'm the only archery instructor they have currently, and so shoot me an email, let me know if you name drop the podcast, that way I'll have expectations and know how to go from there. Let me know what you want to do. But we do lessons Thursday, Friday, Saturday, 2, 4, and 6 p.m. Most weeks, unless there's extenuating things like Total Archer Challenge is limiting us this week.
1: Are y'all? Did y'all get a booth? Because I've heard I back and forth know. on it.
4: Yeah, I still don't have an answer for that, All which right. is part of why I was avoiding. But now we're here. Yeah. I we have a presence of some form. I don't think we've got a booth.
1: Okay, but yeah, cool,
2: um, sweet. Well, thanks for coming on, Preston. Yeah, I thank y'all for is, having me. Is there anything else you want to say? Any uh, crazy things you need to get off your chest, or any opinions you hold? That... I don't need anything super crazy.
4: Um, for anybody that like really cares, I don't think anybody does. But just to make sure, I did Google both my score and the record for state. So, the year that I achieved second in the state, I shot a 498 out of 600 with nine out of 120 X's. Not super ridiculously impressive. The guy that won, 505 and 18. So, just
3: spitting. Yeah, barely, distance. yeah.
4: Now, the state record of all time, highest traditional in Texas, 2014. 560 in 40 X's. Wow. So he dropped 40 points out of 600 with no sights and a bow that you pull it wherever you feel like and let go.
2: I know we gotta go but I I have a follow-up question. Uh, If placing top in Texas, how does that put you nationally to this type of of competition? Or like, how are people that are competing in the Olympics what are (laughs) they shooting?
4: People in the Olympics are shooting perfect scores um, because that's why they're there. Now, it's also different equipment. Like, this might be a whole nother podcast if you all care to have me back. Long story short, Olympics is going to be with sights, with balancing equipment, and some of that.
2: Okay, so they don't have, like, it's not the same style of competition. It is not
4: quite the same style of competition, both in where their target is. Like, they shoot out to 80 meters, if I remember correctly. Um, It's a whole nother thing, really. I haven't looked at the national rankings. Part of it is my goal for myself has been go win state and then worry beyond Mm -hmm. there. Um, And so I haven't done enough practice. I'm sure we're looking at a small fish, big pond scenario here. Um, I have no illusions. I'm the best in the nation. Like, I'm not quite, but...
2: No, no, I'm just thinking, like, winning Texas probably competitive nationally i would um, imagine yeah but i would I imagine we have know. a lot of archers here compared to anyway Other which is speculation well cool uh preston thank you for coming on Quite we welcome. appreciate it.
3: Having me awesome guys all right see you next week
6: Bye!